Good morning, Journey Church. Why don't you stand up and worship with us this morning? Church, welcome. Thank you for joining us this morning. We're going to continue in our worship. We're going to go into a time of prayer. I just encourage you guys just to seek God more this morning. I was getting my daughter ready for school the other morning. She loves the color. She Everywhere there's a picture for me. But there was a marker that got stuck in the desk. And it had a dent in it. And she came to me. She's like, Dad. This marker's not going to work anymore. It has a dent in it. I'm like, babe, it, it's fine. The marker's fine. It'll still write. You can still color with it. And at that moment, 
God told me, we're all dinted, but he's still going to work through us. He can still use us, no matter how weathered we are, how dinted we are, he's still going to work through us, and he's still going to use us. So at this time, let's just pray together. Father, we thank you that no matter what we've done in our lives, you are still going to use us. You still want us. And we thank you, Lord, that your love is unconditional. We give you this time. We seek you, Lord, with all of our heart this morning. Be with us as we worship your name. In Jesus' name we pray. If grace was a kingdom, I stopped at the gate. Thinking I don't deserve to pass through after all the mistakes that I've made. Oh, but I heard a whisper as heaven bent down. I said, child, don't you know that the first will be last and the last get a crown? Come on, church, sing it out. And now I'm just a beggar in the presence of the King. I wish I could bring so much more. But if it's true, you use broken things. Then here I am, Lord. Tell me it's true It's never the perfect It's always the ones with the scars that you use It's the rebels and the prodigals It's the humble and the wake All the misfit heroes you chose Tell me their soul for sinners like me and now I'm just a beggar in the presence of a king. I wish I could bring so much more. But if it's true, you use broken things. open wide there's a seat at the table just waiting for you so come on inside
Yeah. 
take a seat. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the team members here, and I get to share with us this morning about giving. Um, and honestly, people get weird about talking about giving and talking about money and stuff. Um, but personally, I love it. I think the reason why I love it is because and there's a lot of areas in your life where it may feel like you don't know where you see God coming through or if God is going to come through or if God did come through or if you could explain it away. Um, but it's been financially for me in my, in my personal life where I, there have been moments where I cannot deny that it was just purely God who made something happen. Um, they always say numbers don't lie, and I'm no good at math. That's why I'm a pastor. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd make a lot more money. Um, but the reason that they say that is because when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our relationships with God, the numbers don't lie. And yet somehow things happen that defeat all odds, that are unexplainable, bills being paid. I think we have become so literal when we say God's going to bless you financially. You think I put in $20. He's going to either give me the 20 back or he's going to give me double because it's 40 and he says he's going to bless me. So, And we get really like, God, this is what I'm expecting you to do in return with your gift that you're going to give me that you gave me in the first place. And I think I don't know, I think there's just this, this misconception of what God intends to do. You see, I walked around Disneyland yesterday and I told people, I was, I was telling them, I, I have this weird thing that I do in my head because uh, when I get around huge groups of people, I just start thinking in weird statistics and I won't like, none of, I don't put any like, I don't decide what the statistics are, but I just start thinking random things. Like how many, I mean, you're, around, you're at Disneyland, there are thousands of people there. How many people have killed somebody in this place? I know it's dark, it's morbid, but I think it, I do. I start thinking random thoughts like, you know, 
And on average, on average, how many are here to steal things off of other people, my wallet, you know, or something right this minute? How many are here at the happiest place on earth to destroy somebody else's happiness? Um, but it gets to darker places. Like, how many people here are on their last, like, their last little, their last limb? They're just on their last breath. They're this this kind of, I can't do this anymore this life feels meaningless, it's pointless. How many people were, that I walked around were on the verge of divorce? Um, how many people had already written their suicide note to say that it's over, I can't do this anymore? How many people, how many people are discouraged and frustrated? And I know, I'm talking about the happiest place on earth. It's, it's, it's rude, I shouldn't be saying these things, but this is the reality I find myself in. Um, and I've realized for me, when it comes to these moments, the only thing that matters, the thing that is the most incredible about getting around another large group of people in this community is that though you may look at some of those statistics, what really comes to matter is this one singular statistic that draws us all together, which is the fact that we come under the name of Jesus. That in that moment, you are valued and seen. You don't need some famous person to touch you. You don't need to do something in front of the president to be recognized or in, some, in front of the Queen of England to be known as someone valued or someone that has something to offer. You have the king of the universe, the God of creation in pursuit of you this morning. And I think the beauty is when we stand around together, we get to be a part. When we talk about giving, we're not talking about sacrifice and just giving your money and all this we're talking about investment in the hope that this world desperately needs yes god promises to bless us back but i think more importantly than that we each get to play our part we become part of the body the bible says we will be known by our unity by our oneness by the way we love and this morning this is an act of love and this is a this is our opportunity to participate and what God is doing to better a very broken and lost world. So I'm going to pray over you as the ushers come. Just some things to think about when you're walking around big crowds. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you are here. I thank you that you see each of us today, that you know what we're feeling. You know what's going on in our minds for those of us who are uh, just feeling off or alone or discouraged. You recognize, you recognize us. For those of us who are in a great place today and just overjoyed and glad to be alive, God, you see us as well. I pray that this morning, that for those who you put on our hearts to give, that, that each would just recognize that they would see the vision of what your heart is desiring for this world for people to hear the good news, for us to meet practical needs and to be the literal hands and feet of your son, Jesus. We thank you, God, that we get to participate in something far greater than ourselves in the work of your kingdom. In your name we pray, amen. Well, as the ushers are taking your guys' uh, offerings, Shane's gonna join me. We've got some announcements for you this week. We've got a very busy church world. We've got a lot of things going on. All right, to start off, I just wanted to say welcome uh, to anyone who's 
well, to you guys, yeah, thank you guys for coming. <laughs> and then anyone who's joining us online, thank you for tuning in and watching. If you guys have any uh, babies this morning and someone's getting a little fussy, we have a cry room in the back. You're gonna be able to see the whole service. There's a sound system in there. You can watch everything, you can hear everything. That's for you guys, it's a private space for you to just uh, get your little ones settled down and still be able to interact with the service entirely. It's still my turn. I don't know. Uh, next up, we have fifth and sixth graders. If you guys are in here, you guys can go ahead um, and wait in the coffee shop right now. You guys are dismissed. You can get ready to head over um, to your class time. Thank you for joining us for worship. And you guys go uh, get ready to head over. We don't know where they're taking them. But they won't be in here with you, so you're welcome. Um, the other thing we have going on, we have life groups starting. We've had a lot of people asking about how to connect. Um, last, in the fall, we started a leadership life group training or a life, life group leadership training. It's one way or the other, but we're gonna do that. And with that group, um, we've come up with a couple of, the, of these individuals and families who actually wanna open up their homes. And so together, starting February 28th, this is going to be, um, uh, we call it kind of an up-down process. So it's going to be an every other week thing for eight weeks, eight weeks. And we as a church are going to be going through a book and a study called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I'm extremely excited about it uh, because Christians, just because we love Jesus, doesn't mean that we are healthier emotionally than other people who can say amen to that. Amen. The wives said it, not the men, <laughs> just the wives. <laughs> it's all good. 28. The February the 28th, we're going to be letting you know the way that we're going to do this is we're encouraging you um, when we get the list of addresses, we'll be encouraging you to find an address that is closer to where you live so that people aren't traveling across the universe to get to these homes. The whole idea is having community with the people that you're around in community. Um, so we will be giving those lists out. We'll be letting you know what's to come and encouraging you the 28th to check it out. Most of those groups are going to take place on Thursday nights, but we're going to let them kind of figure that out as we go. Awesome. Cool. Next up, I wanted to tell you guys about the women's Bible study. Um, they're going through the lady study. They're going through uh, a book by Lisa Turkers. It's called It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. I haven't read it personally. I might, though because I hear great things about it, and I want to know what's going on. Even if I can't go to ladies' study, I want to know what you guys are talking about. So that's cool. It's also going to be, so it's going to be on Monday nights for the next five weeks. This past week, I believe they had 37 ladies show up, so that was really nice. cool. We got big numbers, a lot of people connecting, communities happening. Ladies, you guys should really jump on that. It's going to be awesome. Yes, and if our single men are needing a, a serving opportunity, there's 37 women that will be together at a house on a Monday night. You're more than welcome to, yeah, to bring some snacks, you Take know? some cooking lessons. Yes. <laughs> okay, don't do that. Just leave, them, leave the poor women alone. Um, do we have, what else? Did I miss something? Oh, your giving statements. If you have been giving, you are a part of the giving community here at Journey. We have your giving statements at the hotspot. You are able to pick those up at any point um, throughout the week, but they are there today. So if you want to grab those, those are helpful for your financial, your taxes, and all of that good stuff, all the fun stuff. The last and final thing is that uh, you can join us. All of this information and more is on our website and on our social media. You can follow us um, on Instagram, on YouTube, on Facebook, uh, all types of, we're like savvy, <laughs> like cool people, you know what I mean? Um, 
But that's about all we got for you. So any other information you're looking for, you can check it out on our website. Otherwise, go ahead and stand up. Greet someone next to you. Meet somebody new. Hug somebody. just over in our kids area as you guys know we have a lot of kids we have lots of kids um, because they're yours and you keep making them and we're proud of you I mean it's it's God's original command go forth and you know breed and fill the earth so you've done it good job but also um, you just need to know that our kids are man they're they're just so many wonderful children that need lots and lots of guidance and leadership and what we find is that Parents are so excited to drop them off and get in here that sometimes we forget. We got workers, and uh, they do long, long stints. Kids ministry is one of those places that people commit, and man, they're just in there for life, it seems. And uh, I know some of them would really appreciate a little help. And I was in there today, and there's, <clears throat> there's a whole bunch of folks that couldn't make it. Something came up. The weather turned good, so they're out running around or something. Um, and your kids, uh, we, just, we just need more of you to consider kids' ministry. I mean, that's a fantastic place. It's tons of fun if you like little ones. Uh, if you don't, it's, you can still do check-in and help them in other ways. Technology is always helpful as well. But seriously, folks, um, our kids' ministry, it, it's just one of those places we are growing as a church body. We just get more and more families constantly coming in. And so we need more and more helpers. If you haven't been serving anywhere and you've been part of Journey for a while, hey, it's time to uh, step in and lend a hand somewhere. Find a place to serve. And if kids is something that can, you know, kind of seems good to you, please talk to one of our team members. Brianna's our kids director, and she would love to hear from you. She's over there running um, both services herself in one of the classrooms today. So I know she'd love to hear. So stop by, talk to somebody in the hotspot if you want to know how get involved you can pick up an application get involved in kids ministry so good hey I'm excited about all the uh, life groups coming some good stuff I'm also excited about the season we're in how many of you are loving this rain oh come on come on you thought you moved to a desert and here it gets wet all over you you left Portland and you came right back to the rain so I'm sorry but I'm, it was my fault I've been praying for it for, <laughs> for a lot of years Sorry, I, sorry, I've been praying, God, you know, bring the rain. And um, I'm talking in kind of a metaphysical, spiritual sense, as well as in a physical. I really am praying, God, let's see rivers in the desert. You talked about that in, in Scripture. <clears throat> Isaiah talked about that. And we, we just, we just want to see life flourish here. You know, there's a lot of harshness to our community. There's a lot of need. There's a lot of pain. And uh, God, it would be really great if we just had a lot of green stuff all around, if we, had, if we had a lot more life bursting forth. And so I've been praying for the rain, so I'm thankful. But I'll be honest, 
My driveway's been washed away over and over and over. I live on a dirt road, and um, I'm kind of feeling really bad that my neighbors have to keep bringing their tractors. If anybody wants to donate a tractor, <laughs> find a good home for it right here. But if my neighbors have to keep coming over and filling in the road in front of my house because they can't get by. All the water comes out of my, my driveway and kind of washes things away. And I know what it's like to um, feel a little frustrated about the storms because we've had more than usual lately, right? And we're supposed to get more today. How exciting is that? But do you ever feel like your life is like one big storm? You ever, you ever kind of wonder like, man, wait a minute, what is this? I remember one of the first times I ever went like, um, what we used to do back before there was body surfing or boogie boards or any of that kind of thing. They had these little rafts, you know, you could rent them at the beach and, and they were like these little inflatable things they had plastic on one end and you kind of held down the little rope and so parents would rent these for their kids in places like Avila Beach over in Pismo and all that you would go and you would kind of rent these and you'd go out in the waves and of course when you're little you don't go out very far but being the adventurer I wanted to see how big a wave I could ride and sure enough I got out in one of those waves and what happens when you know the big wave meets a little guy you get tumbled and have you ever been in one of those waves that you thought you're never coming up I mean, it just goes on and on and on, and you're just kind of like, you don't know what's up. You don't know where to put your feet. You just keep sucking more seawater. I had one of those experiences, and I'm telling you, it's not fun. I've had many of those over the years. And my, my guess is that there's somebody here today that just feels like that's life. That's who you are right now. That person that's in the tumble cycle, and you don't feel like you can get your legs under you because once you do, then, then the car breaks down. Or when, when you just get things started, then somebody gets sick. Or you feel like you're getting squared away and the, something at work just kind of goes haywire. You find a family member <coughs> or a situation that kind of breaks down. And you just feel like life is just beating you up. And here's the good news. You're in the right place today. We've got some really exciting news about that. I mean, sometimes waves look like incidental, like, oh, blow out, we had a you know, flat tire or something like that. But sometimes our storms are way more crippling. A child gets neglected or abused and it goes on and on into adulthood. They become that person who then turns around and becomes the abuser. Maybe somebody gets bullied in school repeatedly. Maybe a wife is just mistreated by her husband or a husband by his wife and it just seems to go on and on maybe maybe somebody's being cheated on and maybe it's been repeated maybe your storm looks a little more like um, somebody in Joseph's situation where you try to do right and you got something really wrong done to you in return maybe it's gossip maybe you felt the sting of somebody else's tongue talking about you or writing about you or posting something about you that was so incredibly untrue, but yet so incredibly painful. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like letting feathers out of a pillow into the wind. It's like you can't ever go catch them all. You have no idea where they land. And when truth or mistruth gets out there, it's like, how do you correct that? Maybe for you, it's something that you've been, you know, you've been accused of falsely. And it's, and it's so frustrating not to be able to clear your name. Well, our hearts are broken sometimes with the pain we live with. And the, and the question, I mean, maybe you've ever thought this. Maybe you haven't. But my question sometimes is, what's going on, God? It just isn't fair. Why, God? Why? 
And you can think of dozens of examples, I'm sure, of your own life where you, you've had those moments like, come on, really? I need, like, I need something else right now? <laughs> Please, God. So what we're going to do is, this is a test of, there are basically two tests going on. When you go through the storms of life, two main tests that you're facing are the test of perspective. What will my thoughts become? What will my mind tell, what will I tell myself? What will be my perspective on my situation? Because psychologists, as well as doctors will tell you, what you think about your situation is even more important than the situation. How you believe about things. So the test of perspective, and then the test of trust. Who am I going to lean on? Who am I going to turn to? Because to be honest, there are times in life when you can't get your footing on your own. You cannot stabilize yourself on your own. You don't have the wherewithal to fix what's broken, and you need to lean on somebody. And the question is, will I trust? Where do I trust? Who do I trust? And so we remember the words from Isaiah. Isaiah said it this way, speaking of God, God tells him this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And you think about all the contrasts. My thoughts, your thoughts, my ways, your ways, low, high. There's basically what the scriptures are declaring is there are profound mysteries in our lives, in our, in our experiences, that we won't get sometimes. And so perspective is that there's somebody who gets it. There's somebody who's not only been there, but he's already passed there. It's one thing for us to look down the road and say, I've got to end up somewhere out there. I have no idea where. I want to, I'm just heading in that direction. It's another thing altogether to see from the satellite the whole picture. And God has mapped out your story from the very beginning to the very end, and he knows every single day. I love that scripture tells us in Jeremiah that God has seen every single one of our days before one of them came to pass. He's seen them all. So what, when you talk about perspective and you talk about trust, what we're going to learn today is, man, I hope your perspective begins to be formed in this idea that, that there's a God in heaven. And not only does he have the satellite view, he's not up there somewhere far, far away, but he's down here right with you in the storm. And he wants to do something that will absolutely change your life through your circumstances. So when we left off last week, we've been in the study. We're talking about living the dream, the story of Joseph from Genesis. And when we left off last time, um, we found out that Joseph was this, he was this great kid that was deeply loved. He was one of 12 sons, but sadly, he was the favorite of the 12 sons. Dad had four wives. All of them had kids. And his favorite wife had his favorite son, Joseph, and his second favorite son, Benjamin. So Joseph was kind of set up from the beginning without even his own choice because dad loved him more. So all the other boys, guess what? They hated him. So he was treated unfairly. His brothers hated him so much they wanted to kill him. And they ended up selling him to strangers. And then we find out that the strangers took him to Egypt. They were slave traders. And they put him on the auction block. And he was sold as a house slave to a guy named Potiphar. There's a 17-year-old kid getting ripped out of his home and his life and his security and everything, all the dreams that he had, and we talked about that, finds himself in Egypt on an auction block, sold to a person he doesn't even speak the same language, doesn't understand their customs, and he's probably going to get beat daily until he gets it right and figures out what they're asking him. This is a kid 
who was so far from his home and so far from the reality he knew that the storm of his life just began to go bigger and bigger and bigger, wave after wave after wave. Not only that, but when he finally learns the language, finally learns the culture, this could have been months, could have been years, when he finally gets things down, God's taking, you know, like taking this young man and he's just placing his hand on him and things start going well. He starts getting more and more trust and becomes more and more trusted than anybody else in the household. He starts actually being responsible for the whole household. And when things start going good, guess what? He caught the attention and caught the eye because it says he was very handsome. He was well-formed, whatever that means, and handsome. And so this woman, the, the wife of the guy who, who owns him, starts flirting with him, starts coming on to him, starts wanting him to come to bed with her, and she tries to seduce him. He pushes her off over and over and over and over and over, does the right thing. And in spite of his doing the right thing, one day she tries to entrap him, brings him in, grabs a hold of him, says, come to bed with me. He literally runs out of the room, leaves his jacket in her hands just so he can escape, and she starts screaming rape. He gets accused of raping the lady that he was trying so hard not to even be around, and now he gets thrown in prison. So that's where we find our hero today. And you thought your weekend was bad. This is unjust. Unbelievable. And it seems unfair. So let's move on. And where we find Joseph in, in Genesis 40, he's back in the pit. Remember, his brothers threw him in the pit. He was in a dungeon. But, you know, now he's in a dungeon, I mean. He's, he's in a pit. He's starting all over again. And in fact, today's message, I hope it gives you hope to anybody who feels like the storms and circumstances have robbed you of your dreams and that for some reason you started here and you were aiming there and you ended up somewhere far, far off of the, of the path that you had intended. You have gone so far from the dreams. You thought your life was going to go this way and it turned around and went this way and you feel hopeless, you feel lost, and you may even feel like your time has already passed and it's too late for you. That whatever your dream was, that God must have passed you by and forgotten about you, I want you to take heart from the story of Joseph that your dreams are never forgotten and those things that are alive in your heart, when they're God-given and God-honoring, can, you can trust him. Because what we find is Joseph finds his way through the storms, through the darkness, through the pits, through the prisons, through the incredibly unjust things that he faces, back on trail for his dreams. No matter what your age is, no matter what you've gone through, the God of dreams is still alive, and you can trust him. When we first meet him, though, he's 17 years old. When we find him now, they, scholars estimate he's in his late 20s or later. So he's lost. I mean, his life is gone. Half, half his life has been spent in abuse and neglect and pain, it seems like, in this dungeon. And from where we find him, he's probably wondering. It doesn't say that he asked it, but I would. Where is God? Where's the God I put my trust in? Do you feel like God is near during the good times? I mean, it's right, it's obvious. He's right beside me. He's blessing me. Look at the good things happening in my life. I mean, it's even, for some of us, it's, it's not so hard to trust him in the so-so times. It's like, yeah, you know, everybody goes through some trouble. Everybody faces some problems. But when everything goes wrong, and it just seems one thing after another after another, year after, I'm not talking just days and weeks or months, we're talking year after year after year, things just go wrong when you do right. You go through storms and pits and losses and disappointment. When God is silent, does that mean he's absent? 
me say it again. When God is silent, does that mean he's absent? Where is he? I remember one time, um, we lived in Tulare, and that was our hometown. The church had invited us to come on staff. We were youth pastors for a number of years. Um, we, had, we had a couple of our kids there in Tulare, and so Micah was our littlest, and she was just, you know, four years old or so, maybe three, four years old. And we had to do this thing where I go to church early because I was one of the guys that opened up and got the building ready. I was one of the guys who was, you know, on, on, supposed to be on premises really, really early, first thing. Get everything set up. So we took separate cars. So one day, um, we, you know, of course, we meet up at church, and then we make our plans, and we head out after church and head home um, for lunch in the afternoon. Well, this particular day, you know, you never know, because when we leave, kids always get sorted with one of us or the other, and they're four kids, and so it's like always who's got who. Well, this particular day, we both arrive at home, and we're both getting things all settled, and all of a sudden, the phone rings. And Lori answers the phone, and she hears this, Hello? Did you forget somebody? <laughs> Micah was still at church. Here's little Micah. She's a little bitty tyke, and she's sitting there with a friend of ours in the office. Hello, did you forget somebody? And that right there is the story of some of our lives. We feel like our good dad has forgotten he had us. Our heavenly father forgot us somewhere. I mean, we were like all together in the family, things were good, and then for some reason it feels like, man, he's just totally ditched me. He just left me for the, kid, for the kids he really likes. I mean, I don't know where I am, but he seems far, far away. And this is where we find our, our hero today. This is where we find Joseph. Where is God when we feel forgotten? When you trust God with your life, what happens? Three things. We're going to cover these today, what we find in the story. Three lessons for our stormy seasons. When you trust God with your life, when you put your faith in him, when you believe what he says, then first thing you need to know is God is always with you. God is always with you. Even when he seemed a million miles away, Genesis 39, 21. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. Oh, man, some of you, you might want to underline that. You might want to just put that somewhere in, in front of you. The Lord was with him. He showed kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in, in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord, there it is again, was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And he gave him success in whatever he did. So where was the Lord? Where was God? Twice we read it. God was with Joseph. But, but, but Joseph's in prison. God was with Joseph. But Joseph's being accused of rape. And he didn't do it. But God was with Joseph. But Joseph was thrown in a pit and sold into slavery by his own family. But God was with Joseph. I know that sounds a little bit strange, right? Well, well, if God's there, why is all this bad stuff happening? God was right there. He never left. He was right there with Joseph. And this is also true of every person who places their faith in Jesus, whether you feel it. Whether, and, and the thing is, we are so big on feeling and how leading, being led by our feelings and what our situation looks like is actually the reality rather than what God says is reality and we, we have a 
constant struggle with seeing things from God's perspective. But the scripture, Matthew 28, 20, when Jesus was preparing to leave, he was telling them, this is what it looks like. I'm going to go away. Father's going to send the Spirit. And be sure of this. I am with you always to the very end of the age, even to the end of the world, another translation says. I'm with you always. You're my followers. You put your trust in me. Then you can trust me always, no matter what. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Always. So God is always with you. And I love the next one, Hebrews 13, 5. Later on, the writer of the Hebrews wanted to remind people that. He goes, so keep your lives free of the love of money and, the, and be content with what you have. In other words, he said, don't worry about all the other stuff out there. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. In other words, he's saying, hey, when you get all stressed out about all that stuff, about the, the physical stuff of your life, let me just bring you back to the truth about this. When you surrender your life to God, when you become a follower of Jesus, you put your faith in him. He takes you into his family and he will never forget about you. Hello, did you forget somebody? God's like, nope, not even for a second. Not even for, I, I love the Old Testament image that says God has like tattooed your picture on his hand. Like God has marked you out in his own, in his own hand. It's like he sees you, he's with you, he's never left you. God was with Joseph. He never left him. He's always with you. Not only that, next thing. When you trust God with your life, God is always leading you. He's not only just with you, he's working in your story. He's working on your behalf. Not only was God with Joseph, he was busy behind the scenes arranging things, powerfully directing his future. Verse 21, so the Lord was with him, and he showed him kindness. Wait, wait, that's kindness? Prison? Well, catch this. He granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So, so wait a minute. So what... What we're seeing here is that sometimes, even in the painful circumstances, even when our story looks like it's dead-ended in a place that we didn't want to be, that we never dreamed of, never asked for, never wanted, even when our story seems to have hit that, not just a bump, it's a wall, that God is still up to something good, apparently. He granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden, so the Warden put him in charge of all those he had in prison. He's responsible for all that was done there. He paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph, and he gave him success. He gave him success in all that he did. For the most part, Joseph had no idea what God was up to. We're never told that Joseph heard from God, had a, an angel visit him in prison, or that he had some kind of messenger that gave him the word, hey, just hang in there. God's up to something good. He didn't have a pastor on a Sunday morning saying, God loves you, he's crazy about you, and when you trust him with your life, he'll never leave you. He, nobody was telling him this stuff. He was taken out of home at 17, and he had not heard from his family since. Not only that, all the voices of his past that would tell him to trust in God and what God was like and the character of God and the nature of God and the love of God and the creator and all these things and his love for his creation, all of those voices were silenced. He was in a culture with brand new gods that were not his gods and didn't believe like him. And these were vicious, vindictive gods. So the things and the, the story and the narrative he would have been hearing would have been completely different from the one we're hearing. And yet, God was with him and God was leading him 
because Joseph continued to trust him. And little by little, Joseph began to see things being arranged for him. Normally, it would be a person's worst nightmare to be in prison, especially when you didn't do anything. But because God was guiding his life, Joseph began prospering in the pit. And for some of you, this is good news because the pit of success is where you live. Whatever pit you're in, whatever problem you have, whatever house you, you ended up with, marriage, family situation, career, whatever, that may be a pit on the outside, but it's a place for prosperity on the inside. God can bless your story in spite of your circumstances. That's what he's doing to Joseph. He's st strategically placing Joseph where he can use him the most, and the picture is just short-term right now, and yet God sees the long-term. We're always playing the short game. I want what I want now. God's always playing the long game, but I've got a bigger story, and you're a part of the great, big, eternal thing that I'm doing. So trust me, and trust me, and trust me. Wait. So Joseph prospered. He continues to trust God completely. God continues to bless him and use him. And Paul reminds us of the same thing for all of us as followers of Jesus, Romans 8, 28. And we know... That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those who have put their faith in God and have surrendered their loyalties, they, they place their love, they place Christ as first and foremost in their life. Your love relationship with God is not a one-way street. It's not just you doing for God. God is actually arranging your life around you. That's why one of my life verses, from the time I was a kid, I memorized Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Don't go by what you think, right? Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you what path to take. I love this idea. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, another translation says. And he'll direct your path. He will place the stones in front of you. You're crossing a stream. You don't know which way to go. God's placing the stones before you. He's making your path clear. He's telling you what path to take. Even when you don't know that he's doing it, he's doing it. I was talking to my daughter recently because she's trying to make um, some career decisions. And it's some big stuff. You know, life has to, has to be you know, on a path in order to get to the end destination. So if you see your path is not going in the direction of your dreams, you kind of want to change your path. Well, the crazy thing is God can change your steps to align with his ultimate goal for your life, which is really embedded in what the dreams he's given you. They're, they coincide, although it may not look like it for the short term. Sometimes to get there, you have to go there and then work your way around. And God knows the best way to get you there because it's not just about you getting there, it's about you getting all those things done and all those people contacted and all those relationships solidified and all those things pointed in his direction on your journey. It's not about the destination, the journey is, in a lot of ways, your destination. That's why we're Journey Church, because it's not about some end thing. It's about all of us on our journey together, becoming all that God called us to be. And, and when we do that, when we trust him, he leads us. He's leading you. He's right now, and I'm not saying someday, for you who have trusted God, right now he's leading you. I don't know who to marry. He's going to lead you. He's leading you. Trust him and don't just give in to the easiest thing. If you sense there's something wrong with it, if, some, if you've gotten advice to the contrary, trust and lean into the things God is speaking to you. If you don't know, then continue in the direction of your dreams and trust he's going to lead you. One of the simple things that Lori does that she's helped me with it, because I'm, I make things really complicated. Any of you do that? 
I listen to the, you know, the scriptures. I read. I'm in it all the time. And I'm like, but, but God, you can just, you, look at, you tell people stuff. Tell me stuff. You told people all the time. Tell me. Don't, you know, just kind of guide me more specifically. I, I don't like vagary. Just tell me. I'll do it. Anything. Just tell me. And God tends to be a little silent when I ask him to be loud. And so what Lori's thing was, she's just like, hey, what is this whole thing about wisdom? It says, ask, if anybody wants, lacks wisdom, James told us, ask God, and he'll give it to you. But don't doubt. Ask him and believe he's given you wisdom. So you seek wisdom, you ask God for wisdom, and then you just move in the direction that seems most appropriate and follow the nudges. And if you don't get them, then just keep pursuing the things that God, that brings you delight and God glory. If it brings God glory and you good and others are blessed, ask him. Sometimes we want it so nailed down, we want it so black and white, we want it so obvious. And when God says things in Scripture, if we're aligning ourselves with what we do know, what, what has been revealed to us, guess what? We can trust him with the stuff that hasn't yet been clear and figured out in our lives. If we do the things we know, we can trust him with the things we don't. So let's review those two truths again. He's always leading us. I'm sorry, he's always with us. He's always leading us. And I, I know, some, somebody might say, but then... But the pain, why does it feel so lonely? Why does my moment right now feel so disconnected? What do I do with what I'm experiencing with the reality of the thing I'm actually going through? Russian writer Alexander Solzhenstein basically went through eight years in the Russian Gulag prison camp. And he wrote a book, The Gulag Archipelago, and you've probably heard of it. He describes his own spiritual awakening. When God came near in the darkest moments of his life. Here's what he said. In the intoxication of youthful success, I felt myself to be infallible. And I was therefore cruel. In the excess of power, I was a murderer and an oppressor. In my most evil moments, I was convinced that I was doing good. And I was well supplied with sympathetic arguments. And it was only when I lay there on a rotting prison straw that I sensed within myself the first stirrings of good. Gradually, it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil passes not through the states, not between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through, the, through every human heart and through all human hearts. So bless you, prison, for you have been my life, for, for having been in my life. Saying that, man, I wouldn't be who I am. And he was, had a spiritual awakening. He's saying that the prison was what actually, it changed him. He's saying that the difficulty, that the storm of his life that lasted those eight painful, agonizing, barely survived kind of years actually were the making of him. And some of us look at those things as the ruin of us when actually they are the making of us in disguise. And it goes back to those two things, the test of perspective and the test of trust. Whose perspective will I trust? Mine, down here on the ground level, or God's at the eternal level? Psalms 119, the psalmist wrote it this way, My suffering was good for me because it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. It taught me to trust you more. And what you say is what has to go in my life. And Joseph could say, man, these dungeon experiences are good for me. Because they took away all the distractions and they taught me to lean and trust only in God. That's all I had. You know, when all else fails, you can finally get to where you find out what you trust. 
When all else collapses, that's when you discover what's really inside. And sometimes I think God allows us to have the stuff around us just kind of go down in flames so that we can see what really, really, really is at the base of our heart. Because that's the truth of us. That's the reality. That's you. And God wants us to know who we really are so we can then begin to really trust. Do you know this? some of the best work God does, he does in those moments like prisons? The Apostle John. John wrote the Revelation in prison. Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament in prison. John Bunyan goes to prison and out comes Pilgrim's Progress, the great classic. Dietrich Bonhoeffer goes to prison and out comes The Cost of Discipleship, one of the greatest discipleship books ever. Chuck Colson goes to prison and out comes a ministry called Prison Fellowship that's touched hundreds of thousands, if not millions of men and women who are incarcerated. Whatever your pit looks like, when you turn to God and trust him, he leads you in those moments. He's leading you. In the good and in the bad, he's leading you. Right now, he's leading you. Right now, he's leading you. Whatever your struggle, whatever your question, whatever your story, he's leading you. The prison warden trusted him. We go on, verse 23. The warden paid no attention to anything under his care. The Lord was with Joseph, gave him success, whatever he did. Make no mistake. Joseph did not know God's big picture. He didn't have the end of the story. He could not watch what we're watching and say, oh, it's all going to work out. That's great. Okay, then I'll trust God. Because if you knew your story's end, you would be like, oh, well, then man, if I knew that, kind of like if I knew in the 70s or the 80s that Apple was going to blow up, be the richest company, I would have invested a little bit more. Okay, I, a dollar even. I, would invest, I, I didn't invest at all, but I would have if I had known. And some of you don't realize that the apple of your eternity is Jesus Christ. And if you could invest in him, it will all turn out beyond your wildest dreams and imaginations. And even though you can't see the end, the end is coming and God is preparing it for you. And God has a plan. And you've got to get perspective and you've got to trust. Your pain has got to bring you to a place of realization that I'm not in charge, that I can't control life, but that I can trust the God who created me. Because of that trust, God used him in powerful ways because the third thing is this. When you trust God with your life, God is always speaking through you. God is not only using you. He's not only leading you, not only with you. God is going to do something through you. Verse 1, chapter 40. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the, and the baker of the king uh, of, of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, so he put him in the custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. I, I love Chuck Swindoll. Talks a little bit about the cupbearer, gives some perspective. He said, a cupbearer was the person who tasted the wine and food of the king before he ate or drank it. That way, if it was poisoned, so long cupbearer, but long live Pharaoh. He also would not, uh, would not allow bad food to be served since he was responsible for watching Pharaoh's diet. This led to a very close relationship, a relationship of trust between the two men. Often, the king would confide, confide in his cupbearer. In many ways, the cupbearer was the most trusted man in the court. If that trust was broken, bad things followed. Something must have happened because Pharaoh had, has one of his closest allies in the court, the guy who drinks everything before him, tastes everything before him, so he'll die instead of Pharaoh, that guy. He throws him in prison. 
not only that guy, but the baker. And obviously the baker and the cupbearer are very integrally entwined because one's eating the food, the other's creating. So they had to have a great trust relationship. Well, they both end up so in, in prison. So who knows? Maybe it was too many jalapenos that day and Pharaoh got toasted. I don't know. But whatever, he had some heartburn. He had some problems. He didn't like something happened. They were thrown in the dungeon. dungeon. Just happened to me. <clears throat> I love that. Just happened to be the same jail where Joseph was. It's amazing how God arranges our lives. So we end up someplace we didn't expect with people we didn't even like or know, and yet it's exactly where God wanted us to be. We find ourselves in a career, we find ourselves in a relationship, we find ourselves in a situation where we never wanted to be, and yet it's exact, it seems like God is using that circumstance in spite of me, in spite of my perspective, in spite of I would rather be somewhere far, far away. God did something in spite of it. Captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After he'd been in custody for some time, each of his two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. Each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? I, I think this is funny. Because if anybody had the reason to have a sad face, it's Joseph. He's the guy that's been so badly abused, mistreated, and kept down for all of these years. But in spite of that, he's looking to them. He's saying, what's wrong with you guys? Powerful truth here. When your heart is open to God, even though the bottom could be dropping out of your life, it's amazing how the Spirit of God can tenderize your heart towards the hurts of another. It's amazing how many times I've gone to a hospital to be with a grieving family. It's amazing how many times I've gone to the, the morgue or the mortuary or to the, the place where the deceased is, and I'm going there to comfort when the family is just so trusting of God, and they just, I just come away encouraged because there's something about people who have this deep, incredible faith in God that when their heart is open and full of God, it's so sensitive to people around them even in their pain. And rather than saying, man, you think that story's bad, you ought to hear my story, guys. Let me tell you what's really up. He sees beyond his own pain into their pain. He cares for them. And so they start opening up. And one guy says, we both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Tell me your dreams. I love this. This is a guy who, last time we heard about dreams, he told his and got thrown in pit, the pit and was sold as a slave. His dreams have gone so backwards, so upside down, and yet he's still interested. I'd be like, dude, I'm all over that dream thing. Don't want to hear them. Don't want to know about them. They're just nothing but trouble. Just, just stay away from dreams. But he's like, dreams? Oh, tell me all about it. So the cupbearer goes on. He tells him the dream. And basically, I'm going to have to really condense here. The guy says, listen, I had a dream, and the dream is these three things happened, and these three things pointed this direction, and blah, blah, blah. And so you can read that. I really, it's really great, but I don't have time. So the story goes that he looks at that, and he goes, hey, three, three okay, that mean, the three means three days, and three days from now, you're going to be raised up, and you're going to be restored to your position. That's what's going to Your dream means this. Well, the baker hears that, and he's like, oh, dude, that's excellent. Then tell me mine. And my dream, he tells him his dream is 
dream of threes and you know three loaves of bread and the birds are you know fly down and start to eat the bread out of the basket and he's like three oh man and this is where joseph turns the story and it's basically he says listen i got to tell you the truth the truth is your story is not going to end the same as the other guy the truth is your three days are going to end with your death <clears throat> And it's horrible news, but Joseph just tells him straight, and this is where a man of integrity just comes to people and says, listen, listen, um, I got to tell you, my friend, your story's not going to end well. And what I, what I love about this is that even though it's tragic, even though we don't get to know the backstory, the behind-the-scenes conversation, we don't get to know all the other things Joseph might have told them because Joseph was concerned about their hearts, my heart goes to the place where I know Joseph. Would have been telling the guy get your affairs in order prepare your heart you're about to meet your maker three days from now and can i just tell you that in a culture that wants everybody to be happy wants everybody to just feel good that churches so many times can neglect the fact that we are still broken and separated from god and that painful reality that all of us will face a christless forever eternity called hell if we don't know and trust him you may not like that truth. Jesus was very, 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 very clear in declaring it. You should read all of the Gospels and see what Jesus said about it. But the truth of the matter is, God was not content to leave you in your brokenness. He told you about it. He warned you about it. He said, if you do not trust, if you do not turn, if you do not put your faith in God and, and put your, your full, full confidence in God's ways, you're on your own. And I wouldn't want to stand before God ever without the covering of Jesus taking my place, taking my punishment, taking my sin on him. I don't ever, ever want to stand before God on my own. I know what I'm like. I know what I've been. And I know my failures. And I'm just telling you that this is where a person of integrity steps up and says, listen, the dreams that you have for your life, there's a dream that supersedes and eclipses all of those. And that's the dream that God has for your life. You see, God made you for eternity. God created you in his likeness, in his image. Your choices, as well as those that have been passed on, the failures of humanity, have separated you from God. And, in, and God made a provision. He made a way so that everybody who wants to can know him again. Here's his provision. He came all on his own. He came in and put on flesh and blood. He took all of our punishment on the cross. He died for every one of our sins, for everybody who trusts him, for everybody who believes that he stood on that cross on Calvary in my place. The wrath of God has been satisfied against my sin on Jesus, if you believe that. If you turn, the Bible talks about repenting, turning from self-rule, my way, doing my thing, to following God's way, God's rule, God's plan. And that, re that reality is where we all need to end up. And if not, there's a story much like the one we read today that ends very difficultly. But I just want to tell you, as we've run out of time, is that my story is a story of discovering what God has in store and has transformed my darkness, my hopelessness, my selfishness, my despair. I've watched thousands of people's lives as they put their trust, as their perspective begins to be not my perspective, not my, my vantage point, but I'm going to trust. I'm going to have a perspective of eternity. I'm going to trust in God. They turn from what they believe, what they can see, what they can control, and put their faith in God. And the story of Joseph is repeated 
year after year, life after life, person after person. And that could be you. That should be you. God wants that to be you. In your storm, whatever you're going through right now, I just want to tell you that God has a plan. His plan is good. His plan is to bless you. It's to lead you. It's to prosper you. But it doesn't all come in the ways you expect. And some of you are right now in the pit, in the storm, trying to find the voice of God. And I just want to encourage you, as the, as the band comes right now, God is not done with you. Our story continues next week. We get to unfold another chapter of crazy, amazing stuff that God does in the life of a person who trusts him. And for today, for today, you put your faith in Jesus, you need to know he is always with you. You put your faith in Jesus, you need to know he is always leading you. You put your faith in Jesus, you need to know he is speaking and working through you. This is the God of the universe, and he wants a relationship with you. Trust him. Trust him in your storm. Let's pray. God, as we close, our lives are so many times rocked by these things that happen, these situations. And it's hard to make sense of them. In the moment, we just want to get angry. We want to just give up. We want to, we want to go back to a place that was easy or felt better. And that's where addictions come from and affairs and all these chasing after things that are destructive, Lord. But I pray for everybody here today that our perspective would begin to align with yours, that those ways that you see things that are higher than ours, that we would trust them because that's the ultimate test is whose perspective will we trust? Who will we trust? And God, my trust, my declaration is that I want to trust in you. That means I want to confess all that I've done as a failure and not working, and I want to put my hope in you and what you did. When you took that cross for my sin, you covered everything that I've ever done or will do wrong, and you've taken me from death to life. I thank you and celebrate that. And God, I just bring that to everybody's attention today, that you would speak to all of us. Maybe it's not salvation we need. Maybe we're already a follower, a believer. Maybe it's just perspective. Maybe it's hope. Maybe it's trust. Maybe it's that that recognition that we're not in this alone. And not only that, but we're not in this for ourselves, that you are doing something through us to help others discover you. I pray, Lord God, that that would be the reality we go home with today. That we'd find faith in our storms. That we would trust during our pits. That we would take your hand in the season of difficulty. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey guys, I want you to stand. We are not closing with a downer. We're going to celebrate. We're going to take God's hand and let him lead us out of here. Let's worship together and come back next week for the next chapter.
you church have a great week we will see you next sunday